Hello, my name is Zachary Trailer, and you are listening to Morning Voice, A Political Journey. Episode 23, Social Contract. The social contract refers to the unwritten agreement between individuals, their community, and society, and the state. Outlining mutual responsibilities, rights, and expectations for collective well-being and cooperation. Welcome to today's episode, where we delve into the complex tapestry of gentrification, its layers, its impact, and its intrinsic interplay with our community. Gentrification, like an artist's brush on a canvas, paints over our urban and suburban landscape with waves of change. Yet beneath its glossy sheen lies a narrative often obscured, one that echoes the displacement of families, the erasure of cultural heritage, and the reshaping of neighborhoods. From the allure of revitalization to the stark realities of skyrocketing rents and the exodus of long-standing residents, gentrification weaves a tale of both promise and peril. It's an evolving story that speaks volumes about the intersection of economics, culture, and societal transformation. Join me as we seek to understand its nuances, its implications, and the human stories embedded within it. As we navigate through these discussions, let's uncover not just the surface level changes, but the profound impact on communities and the vital conversations needed for inclusive, equitable progress. Let's embark on a discussion to untangle the threads of gentrification, exploring the spaces where change meets challenge and striving for a future where development coexists harmoniously with community preservation. Amidst the glittering facade of an economic boom here in Fayetteville lies the sombering reality for many of those left behind, especially in the service industry, where their voices are often drowned out by the crescendo of progress. As we see the glittering streets, the progress on Bragg Boulevard, Skybo busier than ever, we forget to look at those as server minimum wage tops out at two twenty-five an hour, with inflation hitting every American's paycheck and pocketbook, those who are not receiving their fair shake are the ones that we constantly barrage at drive-throughs, stores, any convenience or service job. These people are a marginalized community. They are just one of many social groups that have not seen the surge of prosperity and instead are bittersweet at our city's 40 years of economic prosperity. It is akin to watching a parade from behind closed gates. As the waves of progress floods our cities with a surge of development, 
new housing and property developments, neighborhoods and communities, even new schools being thrown up within the last 20 years, the people most affected find themselves cast adrift. After hundreds of years living in this county, in this city, in this community, lineages going back for centuries are being broken up. Families fractured, homes uprooted, and traditions fading amidst rising costs of living in an ever-shaping landscape. I talked to a woman yesterday. She's one of my favorite neighbors. She helped me find my dog who sadly ran away. Um, This was back in the summer. His name was... um, I actually can't remember his name. He was a white, a white husky. Sam, that's what it was. I asked her what's wrong with the city. What has affected her the most? She said everything. Our own subdivision, she says, isn't safe enough for her, ch- her grandchildren to walk out and play in. Because people speed 40, 50 miles an hour in a dead-end 25-mile-an-hour residential zone. These are the people who have been cast adrift. In the shadows of soaring property values and glitzy developments, we forget that these communities, once there, now are feeling the weight of displacement, instead being replaced by upper class and those of means. The people whose roots severed as the tides of change sweep through, While the boom promises a gleaming tomorrow for some, for many, it spells a goodbye to a history soon to be forgotten. These are long-standing residents, good tax-paying citizens, some with many without criminal records, and yet we are forcing them to have to redefine their sense of belonging as we neglect and ignore their issues day in and day out. Their voices have been muffled by the noise of gentrification. Echo a universal sentiment, sentiment, a yearning for stability, a plea for inclusion, and a demand for equitable progress. It's imperative to remember that progress can't be measured simply by the rising cost of property values or the economic indecisiveness of help-wanting signs, all for minimum wage. It must encompass everything, the well-being of our community, both the quantifiable economic and the inquantifiable human aspect. In the face of such upheaval, it's not enough to merely observe the challenges. Action must be taken to forge a path towards equitable progress. My vision, our vision, is a ripple of hope amidst these turbulent seas, rests on three fundamental pillars, low-cost housing through local ownership, educational empowerment, and reaffirming our social contract within the community. This community was built by us. This community should be built for us. We will not be silenced. As 2020 showed, we are a community that can be vocal, united, and peaceful. Civil disobedience through nonviolent means is a way of progress. 
However, getting back on track, firstly, we must talk about reclaiming the narrative of housing. It has been commodified and profits have been sought out so that Wall Street, hundreds of miles away, can reap the benefits of our economic prosperity. I advocate for local housing ownership where communities themselves become stewards of their neighborhoods. By facilitating access to low-cost housing and reestablishing Section 221, Subsection D, 3 for community ownership, we aim to restore stability and prevent the erosion of local culture caused by rapid gentrification. By having these Section 221 communities, it will eliminate mortgages, lowering home values, and allowing them to have a very selective approach to who can rent, keeping prices low. Simply put, it'll be, you'll have to be a community resident coming through our school system or living here for an extended period of time. This will help keep housing costs down. Secondly, education is currently failing. People point to Terry Sanford, a school modeled after the reformist and bright-spirited Terry, Governor Terry Sanford. They point to him and his progress and march on for social justice, their high school as, a glee, as the shining beaker. Yet they let other schools, Douglas Byrd, fall behind. The very schools that Terry Sanford himself would want to help lift up. We must invest in our children, providing opportunities that were only elusive, that were once elusive, redirecting our focus towards education reform, making sure that civil servants in our schools are helping to better our children, not allow them to punish, single out, and demonize. There are plenty of bright young, bright young minds in our school system that are being targeted due to a variety of reasons, and due to a power trip by those within the school. We must make sure that teachers are empowered. We must make sure that students are being taught. And while I fully believe that bringing family into the classroom and having parents help, we must not let ignorance teach in the classroom. By empowering the next generation with these tools and opportunities and giving them a fresh approach at education, we serve as a beacon of hope, ensuring they're equipped to navigate the complexities of modern society and giving the next generation the opportunities that we never had. Lastly, the social construct needs affirmation. We are the ones who created this city. We are what make Fayetteville America's can-do city. So, we must make sure that the powers that be are aware of it. This isn't just within government. This is within all institutionalized, entrenched powers. They do not run this city. They are there to help better it for the community. It's about strengthening community bonds, foster, fostering a sense of shared responsibility, 
and uplifting one another. When within the, our booming long care industry, every man I talk to, every man and woman, says that they are happy to hear when a new lawn care service is starting up. They, that means to them that the highest quality will be given to our residents. It means, that, it, it means that the economy is doing well, and above all, it gives them a sense of wider community. The lawn, the, the lawn care workers, the landscapers, this is a group that is often forgotten about, but I would bring up because A, my stepfather had a business for about three years that boomed to 72 clients until he had to sadly sell it due to uh, medical reasons. But because when I talk to these people, they have a built-in community and are happy when others join in. This is something few industries have, and I strongly believe it's because of the community sense and the individual one-on-one talks that happen from it. By nurturing a culture of mutual support, inclusiveness, and collaboration, this industry, along with many others in Fayetteville, I am hoping and aim to mend the fractured rot by rapid economic development and ensure that progress benefits all, not just a select few. I want to talk about Terry Samford, a man I briefly mentioned earlier. He will be the person I talk about today because he is a ripple of hope in our community. He is a man that many see as see as a, a beacon for the future and someone to emulate. Terry Sanford advocated for progressive policies and emphasized education, economics, and public transportation as a means to develop and enrich our economy. He served from governor, he served as governor from 1961 to 1965. He was instrumental in advancing education reform and expanding higher education in our state, helping to create one of the nation's top statewide higher education networks. He emphasized economic growth and helped us create a well-crafted state highway system that is still used to this day, connecting small towns and improving the infrastructure that had been left to rot since pre-1920s. He later served in the U.S. Senate, and even after leaving office, when many would go ride the sunset, spend their golden years with lobbyists and on boards such as Boeing's, he served an instrumental role in continuing nonprofit education initiatives within our within the state. He is someone that I believe we need to we we need to learn from. For a while he was very progressive, he stayed silent and was in many ways supportive of gun rights. He believed that a community and a society should be able to protect itself. He also though believed that pragmatic government, government, instead of relying on strict ideology, was a great way to develop a coalition and build bridges. People get guns because they want to feel safe. We need to create a society that is feels safe and secure. That, that way, gun ownership becomes one of leisure rather than one of necessity.
when a society is always on alert, when a society must always carry around a hammer, every problem they face will appear as a nail. He was also a community activist. He relied a lot on grassroots campaigning, personal door-to-door knocking, and overall sought to reform the way elections, uh, re- reimagine the way elections were, were run. And while it worked for him, sadly, the tradition did not continue. Terry Sanford, while relying on a progressive wing for his time, was a moderate Democrat. Some would even say he could be labeled a moderate Republican in our current tumultuous political landscape. His focus on education and economics shows that different groups of the same political landscape, normally at odds with each other, can come together and vote for a candidate that truly represents the will of the people. To shrink government as libertarians want to, we must first balance the scales of society. A community broken and divided by the powers that be through an entrenched and systematic rot cannot then abruptly be left to fend for themselves from the wolves as we will yearn for the protection of the state. However, when a community is allowed to prosper, when the state nurtures those who it is meant to represent, its people can become strong and connected with their shared bond of humanity. Then will it not need the state. Today, we continue our rehabilitation for a community long since forgotten about. The goal is to have every is to have the government so small it can be drowned in a bathtub. But to get there, we must face some harsh realities, have some tough conversations, and truly learn what it means to be America's can-do city. Thank you, and vote trailer on November 5th.